everybody how you doing guys I'm gonna tell you four things you really need to know about peace real soul level peace I'm talking about like the kind of peace everyone desires desperately everyone is tirelessly working for it that kind of peace the peace that the world can't give the peace you haven't achieved with all your striving and all your straining and all your success you haven't gotten anywhere and closer to peace you've actually you know found yourself farther away from peace real actual biblical spiritual peace that lasts in the midst of any kind of storm or turmoil or pressure that kind of peace is something that you and I can't fathom and yet we can experience it and there's four things that biblically are super helpful to understand when it comes to walking in the peace Christ has purchased for us and so if you haven't already watched the last episode go watch it um, we talked about what it means that Jesus is our peace this is kind of like a micro extra episode um, to explain the more of the practical side of things. How do I practically access and walk in peace? How do I experience that? If I have it, where is it? Well, it's probably sitting on the shelf collecting dust, but how do I pull that down? How do I open that thing up and actually walk in it? There's four things you got to know. Number one, peace is about position. Peace is about position. Write this down. Acts 10.36 uh, the Apostle Peter, I believe, is preaching to uh, Cornelius in the fan. It says, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news. What's the good news about? Everyone always wants to share the good news. What's the good news? What's it about? Well, it's the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. So we've already talked about how peace comes through him. Right? How does that practically impact me in 2023 when I'm recording this? How does that practically impact me? A Jewish carpenter from Nazareth, 2,000 years ago, condemned to a Roman cross, hung on a tree, tried as a criminal, died, supposedly resurrected by the eyewitness testimony we have, right? That's the, that's the skeptic's point of view. How does that practically affect me? Because faith positions you in Jesus who is peace. And peace comes through him, yeah? In other words, he's the method of distrib distribution. He's the one who brings it and makes it possible. 
First Peter chapter five, verse 14. <clears throat> it says, greet one another with the kiss of love. No one ever wants to obey that one. Peace to all of you who are what? In Christ. Peace is about your position, not your occupational position, not your position at your job, right? Not in the company, <clears throat> not your position in the neighborhood from the, from the lakefront, not your position um, in your church and the, and the serving role you have and the, and the authoritative role you've taken on, not your position in the family, not your position in who, oh, I, I was the third born, so that makes me a, it's your position spiritually in Christ. That's what makes for peace. That's what matters. Regardless of your position in any other category of life, if you are spiritually in him, God takes you and he puts you in his son spiritually so that you're, you're actually like grafted into him like a branch being grafted into a tree, right? You become one with Jesus. When you are in him, you're given peace. Peace is yours to experience and walk in. That's the first thing you have to know, right? Jesus will, you know, say the same thing in his closing words in the upper room. Right before he's about to be tried and as a criminal and accused and condemned and beaten and, and all that stuff, he can say this to his disciples. Think about this. He's concerned with the peace of his disciples while he's about to go through hell. What kind of peace does that require? What kind of peace does Jesus have to do that? He says, I've said these things to you, my disciples, Judas, you walked out, you could have had this, so that in me, you may have peace. Peace is found in Jesus. Now you go, I don't know what it means to be in him. That's kind of weird. Think of Moses when he's standing on Mount Sinai and he goes, Lord, I want to see your glory. God goes, <laughs> okay, I'll give you like a smaller glimpse that you can handle, big guy. I'm going to tuck you in the cleft of this rock and... I want you to stay there. As I pass by, you'll see the train of my glory, right? And um, you can't behold my face and live though, okay? So God tucks Moses in the rock, right? Positions him in that rock to behold the glory of God as he passes by on Mount Sinai. That's the idea, is you're tucked in the cleft of Jesus being the rock. And so when you're tucked in, when you take refuge in him, when you run to him, for security and, and, and salvation, and you believe in him, right? The way you would, um, I'm trying to think of another helpful analogy, trust in a chair to hold you, you would sit on it, well, you're going to rest on and trust in, lean into Jesus to save you. And when you do, when you're positioned in him, peace is made available to you because peace is the result of being in Christ. That's the environment you're in 24-7, your spiritual environment, you might say, your eternal position is one of peace all the time. Now, how I actually bring that down into my physical reality, into this temporary life, that's what we'll talk about. In the world, you'll have tribulation. Are we in the world? Yeah, yeah, it sucks. It does. But what's more true and what's more important and significant is that I'm in Christ spiritually. I'm in the world physically and temporarily right? For this, you call it this momentary life. It's passing. It's fleeting. This physical reality is fading. So this is all temporary, being in the world. In Christ, though, I'm positioned in, in him forever and for eternity. So Jesus is saying, look, in this world, you'll have trouble, pressure, suffering, tribulation, 
all the sucky things this human condition has to offer because of sin. But be encouraged, take heart. I will overcome that world. So Jesus stands above the world system and the darkness and the evil. He's sovereignly over it, has authority and power to, to really bring it to nothing, which he will. And he says, you're in me. And so you have peace that this world can't give because you're in me who is above and beyond this world. Jesus is foreign to this world. So the peace he gives and the peace that results from being in him is foreign to this world. You can't find it. It's a... Uh, an alien substance, you might say. <laughs> this is not, there's no trace of this in this world. Exactly. That's from heaven. And because you're seated with him in heavenly places, you have access to the things of heaven that are foreign to this world. And frankly, that the world is somewhat confused by and often aggressive towards. Luke chapter 1, verse 79, talks about how Jesus is going to give light to those who sit in darkness. <clears throat> and in the shadow of death. And he's going to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is Zechariah's prophecy about John and Jesus. Um, well, at least John here, sorry, John here is playing a role in giving light to those who are in darkness and saying, he's coming, the light is coming. I'm not the light, but he's coming. So, sorry, I made a mistake. John the Baptist here is helping guide our way into the, into the way of peace, guide the feet of Israel specifically into the way of peace by pointing them to the Messiah, who is peace. So if you walk with him, you're walking on the way of peace. Like there's a map. God gives you a map called scripture and it's, it tells you where to walk if you want to have peace. Oh, do this, don't do this, stay away from this, walk like this. Scripture outlines the way of peace very clearly. And John 14, 27 Jesus actually says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give. So peace is a gift from Jesus. Not as the world gives do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So the peace Jesus gives is not the absence of fear or the absence of the trouble of the world. It's actually the ability to endure and not be overcome by those things, by the fear that can often grip me, by the fear that's knocking on the door of my heart and mind. Like some of you, some of you are gripped by fear 24-7. You can't go to sleep without thinking about someone breaking down your door and doing the worst possible thing to you. You can't even close your eyes without the possible scenarios that, that play in your mind and the hypotheticals that run rampant in your brain. You can't, the fear grips you. And so peace is not the absence of outward fear or even the temptation to be afraid and the trouble that this world brings, you know. Peace is actually what allows us to endure and resist those things and not be overcome by them. I don't have to succumb to the troubles of this life. I don't have to give myself over to the fears that, that are knocking on the door of my heart and trying to find a way in. And even those fears that come from within. I don't have to give in to them. I don't have to be overcome by them. Jesus' peace comes from him. You know, Romans chapter 16, verse 20, <clears throat> tells us the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Now, hold on. Sounds like Genesis 3. The offspring of the woman, the seed of the woman, will crush the head of the serpent. That's true. Jesus is the one who crushes the head of the serpent. He crushes Satan under his feet. So what's this whole thing about us? Or God 
crushing Satan through our feet. Well, are we not the body of Jesus? Are we not in him, positioned spiritually? And so his victory becomes ours. And we actually play a role in not accomplishing salvation, right? But we play a role in this world, advancing the kingdom of God, taking back territory from the enemy and crushing Satan under our... God is doing that through his church. There will be that ultimate once for all judgment he brings. And there's some sense of the church plays a role in overcoming the enemy. Not that victory is based on our efforts, but God uses us since we're in his son as the body of Christ The God of peace uses his people and the ultimate victory of his son to trample the enemy because we're positioned in Christ and we have peace. It's really cool. The second thing you got to know about peace is that it's actually found in relationship. Now, if you watch the the previous episode, you go, I know you spent the whole time talking about that. I was talking about the initial relationship coming into a friendship with God. That's what makes way for peace. But what I'm talking about here is a growing relationship, growing intimacy, growing love for God, actually investing into the, re- the relationship you have with him. When you do that, well, this is what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1. He says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, hold on, Peter, hold on. We have grace and peace. We can't have more grace and peace. We have all the grace and all the peace in Christ right now that we'll ever have. Sure. So what's this multiplication to us happening? What's going on there? He's not talking about what's available to you. He's talking about your experience and enjoyment of the grace and peace that God has given you. So my experience and enjoyment of grace and peace flowing into my life, that can be multiplied. How? Well, it's multiplied in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. In other words, when you know God better, when you invest into your relationship, when you pray, when you read scripture, when you fast, when you get around God's people, when you intentionally seek him and desire to know his heart and his character and give yourself over to him and invest into the, you know, into what he's given you, called a relationship and a friendship. When you do that, and you praise and worship, and all these different elements of growing our relationship and knowing him, when you do that, peace and grace, and frankly, all the other blessings God has for you, begin to multiply in your life. Because with the knowledge of God comes attached more grace and peace to be experienced. Not to say like, I have more available to me. No, your name's on it. It's just the way that grace and peace flows into your life experientially in this physical reality is by knowing God. In other words, very practically, when I read my Bible, the understanding and the knowledge of God that I'm receiving will produce more peace in my life because that's the fruit the Spirit of God bears and produces through me with the seed of His Word. So the truth of God is, is seed that gets planted in my heart. And what that seed or that truth will produce is peace. When I sit in the presence of God and pray and seek his face, even though I could be working on other projects and I could be advancing and pursuing selfish ambition when I choose to pray. And I say, Lord God, you are awesome. You're better than anything I know. I just want to seek your face. In fact, Lord, that actually is our heart. We as your people want to seek you. When you sit before him and praise him, 
You're investing into your relationship with God. There's more peace that comes through enjoying His presence. When you get around His people and serve His people and you're around more image bearers of God who are representing Him well and, and you see different gifts and facets of His character being emphasized, there's more peace found in that community. When you know God better the, through the myriad of other methods through which He reveals Himself, knowledge of God produces more peace. So peace is experienced and found in relationship. Not initial relationship where it's like, hey, give me your contact information and I'll never call you back. I'll never call you or text you, which happens a lot in my life. <laughs> Let me get your number. Eight years later, man, I never actually texted you. What's up, man? I'm talking about growing your relationship with God, investing into that. His divine power has granted to us all things that we need or pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who, by the way, called us to his own glory and excellence. So the knowledge of God produces in your life everything God intends for you to experience, including peace. What you need to live a life of godliness is peace. Peace. It's actually re required to be a faithful, effective servant. I need to have peace. And God goes, okay, I got you covered, boy. I'll give it to you. James chapter 3, verse 18. You're going to see that peace is not just experienced in relationship. Peace is not just about our position. But peace is also planted. And I, I know you're going, well, you just told us that. <laughs> the truth of God's word, done, move on. You don't get it. I mean, peace is something you intentionally plant in your own heart. Or you position yourself for God to plant in your heart. Prayer, fasting, community, seeking His face. And then the way you actually like actively engage in that planting is by reading his word, hearing his word, hearing sound doctrine preached, engaging in, in helpful worship music that plants the right ideas about God in your heart that produces peace. But also you are called to pursue peace. That's our job. We don't have to sit here and go, I'm just waiting for God to give peace. Well, you're waiting for something God has given you a responsibility to pursue. He's given you a role in this whole process of having peace. He's given you a role. If you're not playing it, don't expect peace. Straight up. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So righteousness is a harvest that comes from peace. Well, those who make peace <clears throat> are going to plant peace that will produce more righteousness among a community, in a person's life. So peace is planted. Colossians 3.15 actually tells us straight up, like, you're in charge of this. This is your responsibility. Not to put all the emphasis on you, but we have a role that God works through and makes things happen for sure. Like, all our efforts on our own, fruitless, vain, nothing. God makes them fruitful. Colossians 3.15, it says, hey, let the peace of Jesus rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body and be thankful. Be thankful. I can't just control my level of thankfulness. Yes, you can. You can choose to focus on the things that God has done and all the beautiful blessings and the promises and his word. You can choose to rehearse all the reasons you have to be thankful and you can spend a whole 24-hour day doing that. That's your choice to be thankful. Or instead, focus on the things you, you think you have the right to complain about. 
So part of letting the peace of Christ rule in our hearts is choosing to be thankful and choosing to meditate on and rehearse all the things I can praise and thank God for. So you and I have a, a job and one of those jobs is let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let it happen. Don't stop it. Don't prevent it. Don't fight against it. Don't try and wiggle out of it. Don't obstruct it by putting other things in the way of that peace flowing into your life. Let the peace of Jesus rule in your hearts. Remove what prevents it. Remove those obstacles. Dig them up. Sin, old habits, ways of thinking, offense in your heart, past trauma. Like, dig those things up. Get therapy. Go see a counselor. Seek God in prayer fast. Get, get godly counsel and advice. Whatever you have to do, go to someone and say, I am sorry. And also, I forgive you. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And one of the most practical ways to do that is to be thankful. And notice the emphasis here is on us as one body being made for or called to peace. This is not just some individual experience where it's like, Tony, let, let peace rule in your heart. There is an individual element to it, but it's mainly the Colossians is being read to a body and a community of believers. <clears throat> so the community as a whole congregationally is being told, hey, be thankful. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts as a body which is emphasizing the connection between peace in my life and my relationship with other people, especially believers. Am I doing what promotes peace and makes for peace between me and other Christians, other followers of Jesus? Because that will make for peace in my life. A lot of our issues with peace, and I'm stressed and anxious and fearful and depressed and suicidal and isolated, a lot of that has a connection to me having bad relationships with certain people that I haven't dealt with. And that bitterness has been harboring and, and building and growing. And I need to let go of that. I need to go seek reconciliation. I need to let them know like, hey, I'm sorry. Right? Relationship with other people matter. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3. It says, be eager to maintain the what? the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. This is the same exact thing Colossians 3 was saying. We are one in Christ. Like by the spirit of God, we're one body. We're completely as united as you could possibly be when it comes to our spirits, okay? Because we're one in Christ. But the practical experience of that unity in a church setting, in a local church, that needs to be improved. And so, when we are eager to maintain unity and do what promotes unity among the local church God has planted me in, when I do what promotes peace between, and I, and I try and make for an environment and an atmosphere that, that is unified and of one heart and one soul and, one, and doesn't harbor bitterness and isn't like lying to each other, when I do my job to promote that, there's a bond of peace that's being highlighted in that. There is a bond of peace by the Spirit that makes this kind of unity possible. And so, we often think of personal peace in isolation from the rest of the church. And it's like, well, my personal peace. Well, guess what? Your personal peace is actually impacted by your relationship with other believers, whether you like it or not. That's just the world you live in. That's the way God set it up. Your personal peace experienced is going to be affected by your relationship with other believers. Hear me. So if you, have, 
if you're a jerk to people and you push people away and you and you give them reason to, I don't know, you, you're just not a good person to be in a relationship with. If if you're always gossiping and stabbing people in the back and lying and and promoting like division and everything you say is like complaining and and you know demeaning to people and you're pushing people away and ruining relationships that is going to affect your personal experience of peace and you go why i have a right relationship with god well he also wants you to have right relationship with people and there's more of his peace to be found when you love the people he loves when you have right relationship with the people that he actually paid for and died for so this is not god's like Hey, I care deeply about your personal peace, Tony. If your name's Tony, I love you. I only care about your personal peace, Tony. Forget the other people, right? I don't know why I went full mob boss. I don't forget about the other people. Let's just you and me, Tony. You, you and me, Tony. We're gonna go against the devil, and God doesn't give peace in this individualistic way where it's disconnected from the church. A lot of the peace you're praying for is actually gonna be found in community when you deal with the issues you have between other people or when you actually step out of your comfort zone and find a local church and grow up and mature and realize life ain't just about you and it's not just about your personal faith behind closed doors you need to you're made to be in a community we're a part of a body and you grow up and you realize that that's more reason for peace in your life Ephesians 6 tells us put on <clears throat> the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So when I choose um, daily to put on the shoes, it's actually a readiness that, it's, that comes from the gospel of peace. A readiness to do what? Well, sounds like a readiness to share. A readiness to preach. A readiness to like invite people into the peace that I have with God. That readiness is connected to the gospel of peace. And so I, I wonder, I don't think the text is necessarily saying this specifically, okay? The gospel of peace is the message of salvation. From that, there's a readiness that comes that you have to daily put on, a preparation. But I wonder um, if peace and my eagerness or readiness to share the gospel, I wonder if those two ideas are connected. Um, I didn't really think about that before preparing this. Just a thought. I don't necessarily have any biblical text to support the idea, <clears throat> but I'm just thinking through the way God gives peace to his people. It's often by like doing what he says. And if he's called me to preach, I'm going to experience his peace in that as I do what he's told me to. It doesn't mean there's no pressure and no conflict and no tension and no frustration and my flesh doesn't rile up. It means there will be peace in the midst of all those different things. This, tr not even tranquility. Tranquility of the soul, I guess, would be a good way to explain it. Uh, Galatians 5 actually tells us, again, the fruit of the Spirit is peace. In other words, what you need to know about peace is that you, you can't manipulate the level or, ex or degree to which you experience peace. I know you want to. I know you want to be able to like turn up peace like you turn up your stereo in your car. And you want to be able to control that. And you want to be able to control when it flows in and how it flows in and to what degree. <clears throat> I know you want to. But the fact is, we're called to position ourselves to be fruitful. God bears the fruit. He makes you fruitful. He brings the increase. So, 
Our job is to abide and to stay connected to him and seek him and trust him with how he brings peace into our life. You don't control that process. You do control whether or not you're positioned to have peace in your life. And that means you're abiding. You're remaining connected to him. You're seeking his face. And then peace is naturally a fruit that is produced. Romans chapter 8 verse 6. That's just important to understand because we can often get into this weird kind of frustration where it's like, I don't control the peace I'm experiencing. Well, yeah, God does. That's produced naturally through the Spirit in you as you just do what He says. Just do what He says, man. To set the mind on the flesh is death, Romans 8, 6. To set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Are you telling me that my mental... What I choose to focus on and think about affects my level of peace. <clears throat> I'm not telling you that. Scripture is. Isaiah chapter 26 says the same thing. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. I know there, there are a lot of people. Like some of you who are listening, you'll be like, dang, that's me. A lot of you, a lot of us, me included, we're just too mentally distracted, man. Our minds and our thoughts are rarely on the things of God. We're so easily pulled away from thinking about Him and thinking on His Word and trust, you know, thinking about all that He's done and His promises and who He is. <clears throat> there are a million things every minute trying to pull your attention off Him. The world, the flesh, the enemy, the, the people in the world. TV shows and music and your job and your and your gift and your little entrepreneurial you know thing you got going your side hustle pulling you away from thinking on him scripture says very clearly that when you set your mind on the spirit when you choose doesn't happen accidentally I know some of you are like I'll wait for God to do that that's your choice bro you choose what you let into your head you choose what you entertain and meditate on and what you think about and you also choose the kind of environment and the kind of atmosphere you stay in long enough to promote a kind of thinking. With every kind of show you watch, with, with every kind of song you hear, with every kind of person you intentionally hang out with and invest time into, you're allowing them to have authority over what thoughts you are most likely to think. You're giving them permission to plant ideas into your head. You're giving shows that license. You're giving people that license. You're giving music then, the video games that you're addicted to. You're giving those things license to plant certain ideas in you that will either promote peace or promote the opposite. So when you're like, I don't know, it's, just, it's really hard to think on God. I can't. Well, it's because you stay up till 3 a.m. playing that same nasty video game you've been playing for the last six months. It's because you won't change your playlist and you keep going back to it every time you're like, I'll stop listening to all this, this, this music that's just promoting absolute godlessness and worldliness and I'll end it eventually or I'll kind of dabble. That, that's why you have such a hard time thinking on God and setting your mind on the spirit because you're putting yourself in atmospheres that encourage worldly thinking and will make you more likely to have those worldly thoughts. That's your fault. It ain't God's fault. 
So when you're like, I, I tried to set my mind on the, on the spirit, it's hard. I tried to keep my mind on God and set my mind on him and stay on it. I can't. That's because you're, put, you're making it harder on yourself. You're making it really hard on yourself. You choose the environments you like stay in and the people you hold closest to you and let influence you. You choose what you watch and listen to and engage in and the interactions you have at work. You choose that. You can walk away. Set your mind on the spirit. It promotes peace. That's your choice. Don't think your mental state has no effect on your spiritual, emotional peace. It does. And every thought that comes into my head, I don't have to, I don't have to submit to. I don't got to entertain it. I don't have to let that have any influence over the way I think and any decisions I'm making. I don't have to. I can shut it down and send it right back to where it came from and choose to think about other things. Romans 14, it says, The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Spirit. So, he'll go on to say, let us pursue what makes for peace. Let us pursue what makes for peace. This is a congregational command, absolutely. He's calling a local church body to pursue what makes for peace among them in relationships. The wisdom underlying principle, though, is also true for your individual life. Are you pursuing what makes for peace? Are you pursuing what makes for peace? Or are you spending your life going after things that actually make for anxiety and stress, depression and isolation and insecurity and self-doubt and condemnation and shame? Do you pursue things and spend your life going after those things that promote worldliness. And you go, I don't know. How do you spend your time? How do you spend your money? How do you spend your energy? How do you spend your thought life? What do you dedicate those things to? And overall, are you going after those things that actually encourage peace in your life? Now, congregationally, as a local church, you have to ask the same thing. Because what makes for peace is what makes for mutual upbuilding. Not just me trying to build the other person up, but there's also going to be the kind of, hey, when I build them up, that's going to also build me up too. And I don't build them up just for me. I'm just saying there's, there's a mutual uh, benefit involved. Do, in your local church, what encourages this mutual encouragement and building. In other words, hey, to pursue what makes for peace is to dedicate yourself to encouraging, strengthening, and building the local church and equipping and training and serving and laying your life down for them in order to build them up and make their faith stronger and make their lives better because you're in it, seek to benefit people. You might see a greater level of peace in your life. How practical is this? Dedicate yourself to the things that God cares about. He cares about his people, his church, his body. Do you? Because I don't think God's going to supply peace where, you're, where he's not calling you. Does that make sense? It doesn't mean you don't have it. It doesn't mean, the, it means the, 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 the peace he has available to you, don't expect it to flow into your life practically and physically. And even like, yeah, all these different ways. Don't expect that if you're not where he's called you and not doing what he's told you. 
Talk about practical, man. Yeah, we often think of my personal peace disconnected from the global church. Ooh, those, those two things are so deeply connected. You can't miss it. <coughs> Got some weird cough. All right, I'm going to pause here. Little commercial break because I got to go potty. Don't you dare make fun of my small bladder. I'll find you. If you've not already done this, go to AboveReproachMinistry.com. We have a bunch of free resources that are made available to anyone around the world, completely free and accessible to anyone who wants to learn how to read the Bible. We have free online Bible study courses that will teach you how to read the Bible. We have free study devotionals that walk you through specific patterns and keywords in the book of Ephesians. We have free Bible study worksheets. We have Bible study workshops. We have all this free content because of generous supporters like you guys. And if you want to support this ministry, we're teaching people how to read the Bible so they can live and teach the Bible themselves. And there are a bunch of ways to donate. You can go to AboveReproachMinistry.com slash donate. You can give through debit or credit card. You can send a check to P.O. Box 338, uh, Green Cove Springs. You can give through PayPal, Cash App, Venmo, Patreon. And then you can also get some church merch. If you've not already grabbed some church merch, I would recommend you do that so you can represent Jesus on your body. And all the proceeds go right back into this content so that we can reach more people and equip people to, you know, live and teach the Bible themselves. And if you didn't know this, I actually have a book. I've published a book. It's called Fruitful. And the point of this book is to be a resource to the church to teach people um, the essential keys for the most abundant Christian life this side of heaven. And so in this book, what I do is I, I outline the gospel absolutely clearly <laughs> so you can actually know what the foundational truth is. And then from there, we discover what our purpose is, what our process is, and what our position is now in Christ. So if you are a new believer, or if you're a believer that really wants to understand what I believe are the essential key truths that a lot of people don't understand in the church, I would grab a copy. And if you haven't already joined our online church, get in that online church. We have a lot of cool stuff happening, events every single day pretty much. Uh, we're in there praying and fellowshipping and gathering and growing together as a community. And the last thing is this, if you haven't already checked out our podcast, uh, we have podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and everywhere else where you can get a podcast. And pretty much all the content on YouTube, the live streams, what we do is we um, make that into podcast format so you guys can just listen on the go. So go check that out if you have not already. And let's get back to the video. This right here is one of the best passages on peace. If you ever are lacking peace, stressed out, anxious, out of your mind, overwhelmed, run to Philippians 4 and remind yourself of this. Such practical truth, man. It says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything. It's like easier said than done, Paul. He's like, well, did you get beaten, shipwrecked, and stoned? Uh, you know what, Paul, maybe you're on to something. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, <clears throat> let your requests be made known to God. This is key. So it's my choice not to be anxious. Isn't it? That's what it sounds like. The Lord is at hand to emphasize the fact that he's coming back and I need to be ready and prepared and actually like let that guide my way of life. Because if I forget that he's coming and if I make this temporary physical reality ultimate, then I'll get bogged down by the troubles and I'll become anxious. But if I look forward to what Jesus promised and what's going to happen, I have peace in the now that's based in the future. In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known. To God specifically. Right here. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, 
will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, everything you're anxious about, the very second you realize there's anxiety, there's stress, there's this feeling of isolation, that depression's kind of sinking in, that familiar feeling's coming back, the minute you recognize that, bring that to God. Let your request be made known to Him. Lord, I request that you take this away. I request that you help me through this. I request that you please provide financially where I'm really stressed out. Would you make a way? Ask the Lord. Bring your request to Him. A lot of the lack of peace in our life is because of unspoken requests. And it's not that God isn't involved, but when I pray, I'm aware of His involvement and I'm choosing to get Him involved in a way where I'm like admitting I'm desperate and I'm helpless. And you're the God who saves and you're the God who helps me be my help. That reminder that God is involved in your life, that surrender, where, where you're now confident God is involved and he's going to have his way. It's either going to be a yes, a no, a not yet, but either way, I, there's a confidence and a peace that comes from knowing, that's right, like he's involved. I, I brought my request. I did my job. <clears throat> and the peace of God guards your heart and your mind. That's what we need. We need the peace of God to guard our heart and our mind. And that comes through doing these things practically. And watch. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, if it's worthy of praise, think about these things. This plays right into the peace of God guarding your minds and your hearts. You have to have a standard for the thoughts you entertain. That's one of the biggest reasons people lack peace, especially Christians. They don't have a standard for their thought life. They don't set up filters and boundaries. Any thought they entertain, it drives them wild. It rules them, man. A lot of you, your thought life, you're a prison to your own thoughts. You're, you're, you're a prisoner to your own thoughts. You feel like you're in prison all the time. I can't escape my own thoughts. And these fantasies and these desires and these scenarios and these hypotheticals and these fears. You actually have a choice to entertain certain thoughts or not. So, for instance, if a thought comes my way and I recognize, whoa, that's not of God. I don't just go, go away. I choose to direct my thoughts and attention elsewhere and start meditating on the things that are true, the things that are honorable and pure and lovely and commendable. If a thought or an idea, a fantasy, um, a hypothetical, if any of those things don't meet either of these criterias, true, honorable, just discard it, man. And that's part of the peace of God guarding your mind. He's given you a standard. He's given you a filter to discern right from wrong, but also to keep wrong out and to meditate on the right stuff. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is different than the peace of God being with us. That's awesome. Like I want the peace of God to guard my heart and mind, but the, the, the blessing itself, like that resource, that thing called peace, I don't want that without God. What I, if I had to choose between God, if God's like, right, here's two options, buddy. You can have my peace without me, or you can have me as your peace. I go, <laughs> give me you. You are my peace. 
Just like Moses told God, if you're not going to go with us into the promise, I don't want to go. The whole reason this is awesome is because you're here among us. Same idea. Well, how is God going to be with you? Well, when you do what he said in his word, like what Paul's saying, he's saying the things you've heard and seen and, and received, like do these things. Actually put the word of God into practice. Apply what you know. Don't let wisdom and knowledge build up like it's some museum in your mind where you're like, oh, look how wise I am. Put that stuff into practice. Do what he says. Faithfulness is not just knowing a lot. It's doing what you, ha- what you can with what you have. And if you're not doing anything, you're not faithful. But I have a storehouse of wisdom, treasures, and wealth. That's nothing. If you're not doing anything with it, it's absolutely useless. Doing and applying and exercising the word of God is what makes you faithful. That's what makes things happen. And so what's this whole thing about God being with you? I thought he's always with me. I thought he'll never forsake me. Are you saying he'll forsake me if I don't do what he says? No, the point is the presence of God in a very recognizable, clear way, the experience of his presence and his peace, like him affirming what you're doing, that comes through actually doing what he says. And then that stamp of approval comes with a peace that you can't even understand. You got, I don't even know how I'm okay right now. I don't get it. And God goes, you don't have to. You just need to know me. Psalm 119 verse 165. And again, remember, peace is pursued. This is our job to do these things. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. We talked about that in the last episode. That actually peace is attached to and experienced in a doing of what God says, right? And actually in a growing love for what he says and what he commands. His laws, his words, all that stuff. Okay? Here's the third thing about peace that you need to know. Okay? And I I hesitated to do this, but I think it's necessary for you to know. We often think, if I just do what God says, that guarantees I'll have a kind of peace with everyone around me. Hebrews 12, 14 actually says, strive for peace with everyone. Not just believers, but everyone. And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Apparently, when you look at the life of the apostles and prophets and saints of old and Jesus himself, doing what makes for peace and striving for peace with everyone does not guarantee they'll accept your terms of peace. They don't, a lot of people don't want it. So you have to understand, I can have peace even if someone in my life has chosen to reject a peaceful relationship with me. So while I did say, hey, peace is influenced and impacted, your experience of God's peace is impacted by your relationship with his people. It is. I am not saying that is the ultimate factor that determines your peace. Because someone might go, well, you said I, that that's connected to my peace. And everyone around me hates me at church and in the world. Like, I got nobody. Can I have peace? And I say, yes, you can. Because Jesus is your peace. And so while your level of peace experientially is not ultimately determined by your relationship with other people, Right? It's not ultimately determined. What we're saying is it's impacted and God can even compensate 
When people reject peace, he can still give you a greater level of peace because you've done what you're supposed to. That's the point. Strive for peace. Make for peace. Promote peace. If someone else rejects it, that's on them. You still get the peace that God promises for those who are faithful. So strive for peace and for the holiness, like to be set apart, distinct, different, pure, blameless, living as God is. He's holy. He's otherly, different, set apart. I want to live holy. So there must be a connection between me living holy and like doing what God says and actually experiencing his peace. Because remember, the path of peace is marked out by his word. And the, the word of God tells you how to live holy as children of God. So when I live as God calls me to, and I pursue holiness, and I'm being sanctified, there's more peace attached to that maturity, I think. Alright? So for those of you that are still in that same spiritual maturity level that you were eight years ago, it's time to grow up. Like, if anything, for the sake of your peace, man, you'll find, you'll experience more peace as you become more like Jesus. So, this goes back to the whole peace isn't always possible. Like, we could obviously look at all the apostles, saints, and prophets and go, eh, not all of them had peaceful lives with a lot of people. But Jesus says this, I, didn't, I came to cast fire on the earth. I would that it were already kindled. <laughs> I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it's accomplished. Now watch. Do you think I've come to give peace on the earth? No. Division. In Genesis, God divides light from dark. The waters in the sky from the waters on the earth. The land from the water. Right? The boundaries of the earth from the water. God does a lot of separating, doesn't he? Well, Jesus does the same thing on the earth. So we think, God, Jesus is bringing world peace. The world can't be at peace as long as there is the presence of evil and sin and death. So no, he did not come to bring world peace. He came to bring you into relationship with God, which gives you peace. And anyone who's a part of that body and family can have peace with you as well. But world peace? Mm -mm. It's not what Jesus is. It's not political, Right? From now on, in one house, there will be five divided. Three against two. They'll be divided. Father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and so on. The point is, Jesus presents a side to choose. You can be for him, or you can be against him. You can gather with him, or you can scatter against him. You can obey him, or you can rebel. You can believe or you can not. You can come into the light or you can stay in the darkness. You can have life or you can ultimately end in death. Jesus presents another side to choose. <clears throat> he brings a clear dividing line and goes, there will be division in families because of people's loyalty and commitment to me. Because not everyone wants to. So just know that. When you strive for peace, that doesn't mean in your family, in your neighborhood, in your job, even in your church, there will be ultimate peace. But at least you're doing what promotes peace in the world around you and ultimately, uh, I think, makes way for peace in your own life. We're going to end with this very practical image and picture of peace. Jesus calms the storm. 
This is one of the best visuals. You, you all can imagine this. It's one thing to hear about peace and know how to walk in peace and give you the practical tools and instructions. It's another thing to like imagine this whole thing play out. Here's peace on display for you. <clears throat> on that day when evening had come, Jesus said to his disciples, hey, let's go across to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took, with them, uh, took him with them in the boat just as he was, probably exhausted, and other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. That would be a freaky situation, man. No life jackets. <clears throat> there are other boats around, but this is a great windstorm. And even for fishermen who live on the sea and live on the water and are familiar with storms, they're freaking out because the waves are breaking into the boat. In other words, the boat is filling and they're expecting to drown. He was in the stern asleep on the cushion, sounds like Jonah, and they woke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Hello? Like in their minds, they already decided we are perishing. We're in the process of dying. That's the end result of this thing is we all go down with the ship. In their mind, they've already decided we're perishing. Don't you care? And he awoke and rebuked the wind. I love that. Wakes up like you do on a Saturday morning for kids WB. Watch some cartoons, right? He wakes up and he rebukes the wind. And he said to the sea, peace be still. The stillness of the storm is supposed to be a reflection of what the disciples should have had. The stillness of the heart, stillness of the soul. But instead, they got worked up. Their fears, you know, increased. And their, their heart went with it. And they were in turmoil and distress, not just physically, mentally, emotionally. The wind stopped. There was a great calm. Great calm. <clears throat> and he said, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And this right here is so important. The lack of faith is connected to the fear they experienced and the lack of peace they had. They did not believe that Jesus fill in the blank. We don't know what specifically, just that Jesus could handle this. I think they did believe he could do something, otherwise they wouldn't have woken him. Maybe he was a last resort. And this is just th them throwing up a Hail Mary going, he, he might be able to do something. Hey Jesus, teacher. But I think specifically it's no faith in who he is. They were filled with great fear and they said, who is this that even the wind and sea obey him? Like now, their fear of the storm has shifted into a reverence and an awe of Jesus. What they were afraid of has obeyed Jesus right in front of them. Their fears, the storm, the waves, the wind, stopped, obeyed Jesus. Now that's not like the ultimate authority. They're looking at Jesus and going, and other gospel authors will say they trembled. 
That's the kind of reverence and fear and awe you can have of God that produces peace in your life. Was Jesus at peace? It really seems so that he was, yeah? Doesn't seem like Jesus did not have peace. He's sleeping. And you go, well, because he was tired. I don't think that's the only reason. I don't think the only legitimate reason is, well, he was just exhausted from the day. That plays into it. Like when you're exhausted from the day and you sleep, still, even if you're exhausted, a big enough storm will wake someone up and send someone into fear. Jesus did not. He didn't descend into fear. He didn't give into the chaos around him. He had peace the whole time. He was still. He was calm. He had faith in his father. The disciples did not. And so once the wind and the sea calm, and there's a stillness, right? That's supposed to show us what it looks like to have peace with God and be in Christ. You can be still and know that he is God. And actually, that will, will bring up that, um, that passage. That would be a good place to end. Now, this being still, having peace, is connected to knowing. God says, know that I am God. You can't see it, so let me pull it up on the screen. Okay, look at this. We often quote this, and it's like a nice little coffee mug scripture. Be still, know that I am God. Well, hold on. What are you still about? What do you know? What, what gives you peace? Well, God says, I'll be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is war language. God is going to war to shatter the nations, the enemy nations and the people who are in rebellion. And while the people of Israel or whoever it is that's afraid is like cowering in fear, God's going, oh, just like he tells the people at Exodus as they're standing between Pharaoh and, and the Reed Sea. Moses goes, just, Be still, be quiet, and watch God work your salvation. That's the idea here. Be still. And that stillness, that peace, that rest in the soul comes from knowing He is God. And He will be exalted in the nations. He will show His power and authority. And the rebel nations, those who are in opposition to God, will fall. He will destroy them. That ultimate power and sovereignty of our God to triumph over any enemy of ours. That war language, that triumph and victory gives us peace. And we can be still and we can be at rest like Jesus was in the boat. He is still. Your reason for peace is not whether or not there's a storm around you. Your reason for peace is not based on any worldly circumstances. Your reason for peace is that He is God. And you know Him and you have relationship with Him. And that's why the disciples at the end of that storm situation will go, they're starting to know he's God. And they're starting to become more still and have more peace about him. That's the peace we need. So peace is about position. Peace is experienced and found in relationship. Peace is planted and pursued by us. It's your job to go after what makes for peace. And you gotta know that peace is not always possible with other people. But God will answer your faithfulness and obedience with a measure of peace personally. Hopefully this was a blessing to you. If you guys didn't already know, this is Above Reproach Ministry. 
you can visit our website above reproachministry.com linked in the description below to find out all that we have all the free resources bible study courses bible study worksheets worksheets bible study workshops our online church um bible study devotionals uh all the the Bible studies we do, all the resources, all the teachings and workshops, all that, um, and trainings, all that is completely free because of generous supporters like you guys. So thank you guys for supporting this ministry. You can also support this ministry by going to abovereproachministry.com slash donate. It's on the homepage of the website. You can support us and give through Cash App, PayPal, Venmo, uh, Patreon, debit or credit card, buy some church merch, all that good stuff. Get a copy of our book. I do want to say this, join the online church if you have not already. Join that church on Discord. It's awesome. We have beautiful conversations and fellowships and prayer times, and I want to see you there. All right? All the links are in the YouTube description below, and I think that is it for today. You guys keep moving towards Jesus, and I will see you later. Love you guys. Bye.